Got two more sermons left in uh, the church series, and we're about to head into missions month, and it's worked out really good for that. And and um, today, uh, I want to talk to you about what I'm just going to call the church, uh, the uncommon effort. It, it's something that has been uh, definitely uh, on my mind in the last few weeks, and I've been working on this for a while. And um, I want to, we're going to go this morning, if you've got a Bible, we're going to go in just a minute to Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going. And we're going to talk about the, the road to discipleship and, and what Jesus said about what it means to be a disciple. When you, when you look at the gospel, when you look at the gospel, here's one thing that I think is that you've got to constantly make aware among the people of God is that the gospel was never intended to be a one-time transaction. And here's what I mean by that. I think, I think in America, we, we, we did that because we put so much emphasis on what we would call a word you don't hear that much anymore, evangelism. Uh, we, we put so much emphasis on people sharing the faith. And that, obviously, that, that, that's mission central to who we are. Don't, don't hear me say that it's not. It certainly is. But, but over the last 50 to 100 years, I, I think evangelicals have put all this, all this spotlight on get saved, as we say in the church, you know, be ransomed by Jesus, get saved, get saved, get saved. Okay. So let's just, let's just kind of play that out for a minute. Many of you, I, I'm curious, I, I don't often do this, but I am curious. How many of you came to Christ under the age of 18, 18 or under? Wow. Okay, that's impressive. Um, okay, so, so for those of you that came to Christ 18 years of age or under, okay, now what? Right? Now what? Are you just waiting around? You know, some people in Thessalonica kind of did that, and Paul got on them pretty hard um, about waiting around till Jesus to come. So, so now what? See, the gospel isn't just a one-time event. The, the gospel... Is, is something that, that yes, we, we were saved at a moment in time. For me, it was September 2nd, 1990 was when I gave my, my life to Christ. But, but th- then there's a, there's a future date out here that, that Jesus is going to come back. Or either way, I'm going to cross the river. Either way, I will be eternally saved. But it's in that middle ground from the time I came to Christ to the time I actually see him face to face. Now what? What do we do? What does the church do in the middle ground? Now, we, we, we know this commission we were given by Jesus. In fact, I, I put it up there. Uh, you don't have to turn there because we're going to Matthew chapter 9 in just a minute. Uh, all, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make what? Disciples, not converts. Not converts. Disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, not just sharing how to be saved, but actually what does it mean to live saved? What does it mean to execute ministry in Jesus' name? So I want to say to you something this morning that you may not have ever heard it put this way, but it's true, is that when you look at that statement, there's a a line of thinking in in evangelical faith um, that a lot of what was given to the early church doesn't apply to us, meaning, oh, that was just for the apostles. These verses we're about to read, oh, that was just for the apostles. And if that's true, if that's true, then then I would say, then then what part of the Bibles is, is for us? 
You can't say that the Bible was written to you because it wasn't. It, that the church at Ephesus got the letter to Ephesus. Uh, the book of Romans was written to the people in Rome. The, the, the gospel of Matthew was written to a, a group of people at that, at that time. When Jesus gave that commission, he did actually give it to the disciples. So the Bible wasn't written straight to me, but it was written for me. Right? It was written for me. All of it was written for me. So what Jesus said to the disciples... He said to me, because we're all part of the same tribe. What Jesus said to the disciples, he said to me. And what he said to the disciples was teach them, all of them. He gave them a commission to observe all that I commanded you, all that I commanded you. What God gave to the disciples, he gave to me. I'm a disciple. You're a disciple. And so today we're going to talk about this idea of the uncommon effort of discipleship. And I want to put in front of you a, a simple truth, and that is that, that the whole gospel, I, I, believe, I believe in what pa the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 when he was, when he was preaching to the church at Ephesus. He said, I have, not, I, have not, I, have, I have declared to you, before I leave you, I want you to know I have declared to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Not just how to be saved, the whole counsel of the Word of God. And so I would say to you that the full gospel transforms fully. The full gospel transforms fully. Jesus didn't just intend to, to teach you how to be ransomed out of eternal hell. He told you how to receive the power of God now. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that you don't have to wait to heaven to experience the presence of God. Amen? Amen. That's right. You don't have to wait to then. That's what I love about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just later. It's actually now. So what Jesus gave to the disciples, he gave to me. And that's going to that's gonna be really important for you to understand as we read these verses. So Jesus said in Matthew, 39, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 30, uh, 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages. He was teaching in the synagogues, and he was proclaiming the kingdom, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. By the way, that, that's... that's the, it's the predominant theme of Jesus' ministry, the, the kingdom of God, that phrase, or the word kingdom. It's, over, it's well over 100 times in the Gospels. Jesus referred to it all the time. It is the, the imminent rule of God that touches every area of life, from your money to your family to the way you look at people to how we do live and work and breathe. It's, it's the it total reign of God. Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so Jesus, it just continues right on. Jesus summoned, he summoned the 12 disciples over and he gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And by the way, I see no New Testament evidence that that ever stopped. There's no New Testament evidence that that ever stopped. There's a lot of theologians out there that don't like it. I would also like to keep 10% of my money I'm just, hey, can I be real with you for a minute? It, you know, it'd be, I could buy stuff. 
but I don't get that option. And I'm also amazed, by the way, what God can do on 90% of my income than what I could do with 100% of it. It's fascinating. Yeah, so, so we understand the evangelism side, but Jesus just told us to teach him all things. And so he says, so now the names of the 12 apostles are these, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas Iscariot. And then these 12 were sent out after he instructed them, verse 5, chapter 10, do not go in the way of the Gentiles or do not enter any city to the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. Freely you received, freely give. Meaning you you got this power, give it away. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or bags for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the workers worthy of the wages or worthy of the support. He goes on down to talk about how hard it's going to be for them. Verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves to be shrewd as serpents and innocents as doves. He tells them in verse 24, we're going to cover several of these. It's a long conversation that we're not going to get into. And it's, it's a long conversation Jesus has. In fact, I would encourage you today, no kidding, or to by tomorrow morning, if you spend time with God, read chapter 10 of Matthew or Luke kind of carries the same story. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. Jesus is teaching us about what it means to be a a true disciple. What does it mean for us to to walk the path of discipleship, to share the, the full gospel of who we are, to teach them all that I've commanded you so when it comes to this idea of what, what does it mean for us to be a disciple, I would say a couple of key things we've got to lift out of the scriptures this morning. And the first thing I think we have to understand is that Jesus calls us to tra- what I would say travel light, okay? You know what travel light means, carry on, you know, you, you got to carry on. The older I get, the more I try to see how much I can get into a carry on because I hate waiting on bags. I don't like things being lost. What do you say, what what do you mean, Jason, to travel light? Look at what Jesus said in verse 9 of chapter 10. Don't acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. What Jesus is saying right there to you and me as disciples is to hold on loosely to the things of this world. Keep a loose grip. See, a a disciple of Jesus isn't going to be owned by anything other than God. God is the owner. He is the, he, he's what's going to own our lives. We're not going to be mastered by anything. And I think what Jesus was teaching the disciples in that moment was learning to trust him. Learn to trust him. When you go out in your faith ventures, when you go out and God gives you a vision or God gives you a calling or God reveals to you your purpose for living because you do have a purpose, God made you for a reason. When he reveals that to you, you're going to have to learn how to trust him. And Jesus was doing that in that moment. He was teaching them, hey, no travel light. Let let nothing own you. For you and me, I think what that means, remember I told you the Bible wasn't written straight to us, but it certainly was written for us. Those same verses that he spoke to the disciples, he spoke to me. And that's the beauty of reading Jesus' words. You're not reading just some historical letter. You're actually reading the words of Jesus himself. And Jesus told me and he told them, he told you, that we are to hold on loosely to the things of this world. 
Because no matter how much you gather or how much you accumulate, you're not going to take it with you. So don't cherish it too much. It's okay to save. It's okay to gather up and prepare, but don't, don't cherish it too much. That's what we're taught. Travel light. Travel light. Don't be owned by anything. I would say there's a, a second truth. There's probably 20 in here in this chapter. This is a, this is a deep chapter. I, I could probably spend five, six, seven weeks on this chapter. But one of the predominant themes of chapter 10 in Matthew is that Jesus warns me to expect severe hardship if I'm going to follow him. He warns me to expect severe hardship. Discipleship is by nature hard. Look at what he said in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Meaning, hey, be wise. Jesus, does, he, he, he goes on even to say, beware, verse 17, but beware of men for they will hand you over to the courts and they will beat you or they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governments and kings for my sake. Verse 19, that is, if you, choose to, if you choose to proclaim the name of Jesus, you need to prepare, verse 19. And when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you're going to say. It'll be given to you in that hour. Verse 21, Jesus says, brother will betray brother to death and father will betray his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Jesus tells us to expect hardship from governments, family, maybe even isolation. If we're going to follow the path of Jesus, this is, hey, look, this is one of those aspects about Jesus' life. You just don't hear a whole lot on Christian radio. Jesus telling you this kind of hardcore truth, right? Because it doesn't, it's not palatable, it's not palatable in a world where we, we sacrifice very little anymore. You know, we, we live very comfortable lives. I don't want discomfort. I, don't, I mean, I'm not crazy. We, we live very comfortable lives. But if you look at the history of the church, the church thrived the most when it was beaten up the most. That's how the gospel got here. It got here because of persecution. So every time that happens, the gospel spreads Jesus said, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out as, as sheep among wolves. And I want to tell you something, friends. Listen to me really close. It's hard to build a big church on that verse. But your Savior said it in more ways than one. He said it in more ways than one. That it's going to be hard if you go and confront the powers of evil. So why does that matter so much? I mean, if, if you just stopped right there, I would be going, well, why do I want to sign up for this gig, right? Why do I want to sign up for this? Because lives are at stake. Lives are at stake. Jesus didn't just call us to travel light because he wants us to hold on loosely. He didn't just call us to endure hardship because people are mean. He called us to step into a battle that's been going on since the dawn of time. That the very real enemy, Satan, is taking people's lives. 
He's hindering life. Jesus is the life giver. Satan is the anti-life. He's the life taker. And he'll take anything that, you can, that you're willing to give him. And so he doesn't just call us to travel light. He doesn't just call us to, to step into hardship. He does that for a reason. And for that, I would say Jesus commissions me and you to minister life to the dying. That's who we are. In fact, Revelation 1 tells us, uh, Revelation 1.6 says that he has made us a kingdom of priests. Did you know that? Go look it up. He's made us a kingdom of priests. He's made us the, the, the conduits. He's made us the vehicles of his presence. He's made us the vehicles of his ministry. He's made us the people who are to minister life to the dying. Jesus didn't just give that commission of go into the world, heal the sick, cast out demons, touch cities, minister the effectiveness of the Lord. He didn't just give that to the 12. He also gave it to the 70. That call went on, be even more than just the 12. And then I think he gave it to us in Matthew 28 that we are to be disciples in that regard we are to minister life now. We are, we are, we're life restorers. It's interesting. Look, look, uh, look at this verse, Matthew 10, verse 7, um, verse 8. Jesus said, as you go, you just read it a minute ago, as you go, preach. Preach what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Now, I think the reason that the Christian church has... Over, over, maybe over the last century has, has been kind of averse to that is because they've seen it abused in many cases, right? It, it, it feels a whole lot safer to just share the gospel in a blog than it does step into a tribe in the Amazon that actually might kill you for it. Or it's really hard to lay hands on somebody and pray for healing because you don't know if it'll come. But it doesn't, that's not up to us. We're to be ministers of the kingdom, ministers of the love of God. In fact, that word right there, the kingdom of heaven is a hand. Heal the sick. It's, it's the word that we, from which we, it's almost spelled exactly like therapy. Not therapy as you would think of it, as going to get a counselor. Literally, he's saying, bring healing to the, to the sick. That word, that word sick right there, it, it can also mean the feeble, the broken, it, it, it can mean those, it, it can mean, uh, uh, in the most literal sense, sick folk, right? So there's a little southern in Greek, right? But the truth is there that we are to be ministers of the love of God to those that are suffering. That's who we are. By the way, this was normal New Testament Christianity, by the way. Normal New Testament Christianity, that they were engaged in their cultures to that extent. So he told it to the 12, then he told it to the 70, and then he told it to you and me. But here's the deal. It, only, it, it, it doesn't work if it's, not con, if it's only consumed, right? There's nothing in that verse about consumption, Jesus said, as you go. See, it all starts on the fact that, that we are expected to minister in the kingdom of God. And that's what I meant when I started out this sermon by saying, if, 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 if we all got, you know, most of this room was, was redeemed before the age of 18. 
Well, you're not 18 anymore. So what do we do in the in-between? That. We minister to the broken. We, we confront evil and demonic powers. And we do it knowing because the enemy has held down people. But it doesn't work. You see, this doesn't work if it's only just consumed. If church is just a place where you think you attend, then those that are held captive stay in captivity if we just attend. Now, I don't know so much about, I've kind of wondered what does raise the dead mean. I mean, I've never seen a dead person raised. I don't know how, do I believe it can happen? Absolutely. I believe it can happen because the word of God says it can happen. I wonder sometimes if God doesn't do miracles because he knows we, we don't expect him to at all. I never forget one time um, when I was uh, pastoring at Belmont, there was this girl named Julie, and she went on this mission trip. And uh, she she came after she got back. It was with it was with this evangelical missions organization. And and when she got back to church, you know, a week or two later, and she came up to me after church, and her eyes were about this big. And she was Belmont student. She said, "Pastor Jason, I really got to meet with you like soon." I said, "Okay, Julie." And so she came to the office a few days later, and she said, um, you know I was raised in a, in a just like a very traditional Baptist church. Yeah, yeah, you've met my mom. I have met your mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. She said, well, while I was over there, we were, we were praying over this one man, and he had this shrunken hand. Like, it was like a, just deformed at birth. And she said, it was real small little hand. And, and it was just so funny. She said, I didn't close my eyes because they pray different than I pray over there. She said, I didn't want to, I thought it was kind of cute. She said, I, 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 I wanted to keep my eyes open. She said, Pastor Jason, while we were praying over this guy, I watched his hand go from a little bitty hand the size of about a three-year-old to a fully formed, straightened arm and hand. And she, she said, what am I going to tell my mama? And I thought, I said, well, Julie, it's simple. What you tell your mama is you prayed over a dude and God healed him. Let your mom deal with that. She'll be okay. Maybe. Might not ever get to go back, but just tell your mom what happened. But what does it say about us that we have to worry about what the people of God might think about somebody being restored. I think it's the same reason that Jesus didn't do a lot of miracles in Nazareth. Just just my opinion. As you go, preach. I think I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here, so it's okay if I'm wrong, and I'm going to spread out just a little... I don't know, heal the sick. I, I think there's enough room to say those that are broken and feeble, beat down by depression, you can be the love of God for them. For those that are broken by heavy financial debt, some of you that are really smart with money, 
can step into those situations and heal and show them the truths of Scripture and how to restore. I think healing can take on all kinds of forms. I don't think we should limit God to just healing literally a, a small hand. I think it can take on all kinds of things. But it doesn't work unless we go. It doesn't work unless we step into it. Um, while, while, while Michelle and I were over, over in France, I, I really didn't know what I was going to expect to see over there, but something really came to me one day walking uh, over in the Normandy area. I was, I was going to preach a, a whole sermon around it, then I thought you might get mad at, at a World War II uh, history lesson. But I want to share this with you because I think it, I think it very much applies to where we live today. Um, when I was a little boy, my dad, my dad told me later on in life, he told me after I was in my 20s, he said, you know, Jason, um, th- this is my granddad, by the way. This is my grandfather, Josh Cruz from Doyle, Tennessee. Know where Doyle's at? Like four of you do? Yeah, I'd be shocked if five of you did. Um, I've been there often. Uh, there's a post office, I think. Um, he had never left White County, Sparta area, Cookville, Sparta area. He had never left White County until he got his draft card to this place called England. And when I was a little boy, uh, my dad told me, Jason, the reason we know about your grandfather's war effort is because he, he never would talk about it. It wasn't that he refused to talk about it. He just didn't talk about it. And as I got, as you know, as, as a 10-year-old boy, obviously I talk a lot. It's, it's, it's nothing new. Uh, I didn't just start doing that last year. Uh, I, you know, I've done that my whole life. And, and, um, and I would ask him questions constantly, just constantly. Because I was fascinated by why in the world did you go to Germany? What did you do? How, what did you eat? I mean, I asked him, you know, I was... Seven, eight, nine, ten years. I mean, I ask him everything down to the nitty gritty, man. And I do remember specifically asking him one time. We were out in the yard and I, we were doing something, and I said, Why did you go to war? My grandfather was a simple man, and he said, uh, Well, it was either fight them over there or fight them over here because they were coming. So we just figured it'd be better to fight them over there. And I never forgot that. When I, when, I was over, when I was over in France, I was at this place called Pointe de Hoc, and, and you can Google it, I won't go into all that, but I, I noticed something. I was walking, we were going to see this famous area, and I was walking on what I thought was a trail. A path, it it was leading to all these German bunkers where, you know, they they had well-preserved bunkers. And as I I, I thought I was walking on this elevated trail, and as I I started looking, I started noticing that for as far as the eye could see, there was these perfectly round craters everywhere. And what I realized is I was walking on what used to be level ground. But for as far as you could see, it was just 
one little spot of earth for a mile or so that was full of nothing but artillery bunkers where they had just pounded with bombs, pounded, pounded. The Navy ships pounded and pounded and pounded and pounded and pounded. And so all of these, all of these craters were still there. And I was just walking on what dirt was left to get to the bunkers. And it it came to me over the course of those few days that everywhere I went, there was evidence of something. Everywhere I went, there was evidence. Everywhere I went, there was evidence of of a legacy and and, and really of something that happened. You could actually touch it. You could walk on it. This is one of the most famous photos ever taken in World War II. It's at Omaha Beach, and, and, and uh, that's a Higgins boat right there. And, and you've seen that on Saving Private Ryan. You've seen it uh, in, you know, in battle, you know, all the battle movies and things. And, and in fact, um, uh, President Roosevelt said that, that Higgins, the man that invented that boat, I think he was out of Kansas uh, or something like that, he, in the Midwest, he said he was the man that, that won the war because he, he made the boats that took our men to, to the, the Pacific and to the, to the European theater. And, and, and so I, what was so cool about just being able to touch something, this is an actual picture that I took. At Utah Beach, they, they, they still have these boats there. So, you know, I went up in it. This is another picture. This is, this is, uh, this is, this is standing in a very boat that people went into war with. And those are just eerie feelings for me to know that you can actually, you can touch a legacy. Everywhere I went, that, that, that's just two pictures. And I, I didn't take a ton. I actually didn't want to have my phone out the whole time. I wanted to experience it. And, and, and so, but everywhere I went, there was evidence of a legacy, evidence of, of a movement. It, it, and it spanned for hundreds of miles of, of all of these things that you could see what was done over there. I don't know if you know this. Have, have, you, ever, have you ever taken the time? It was the largest war the world has ever seen? You ever taken the time to think about how many people died? Let me just give you a small glimpse. This is nowhere near the total. Here, here's, here's just a few. Those are we, Americans' lives were just over 400,000 people died in battle. That's not including wounded. The British lost over 200,000. Russians lost over 10 million soldiers. The Chinese lost over 14 million soldiers. All because of one man's ego named Hitler who wanted to rule the world. Loss of life is, is somewhere in the hundreds of millions. People, the, the, the casualty rate, that's just the allied forces. You can Wikipedia this stuff. It's pretty fascinating. So I want, I want to frame it up for you. I want, I, want, I want to give you a different perspective. I want you to imagine that you got in your car and you drove 65 north. And when you got into Davidson County... There wasn't a single living human. You went down to the Gulch. You went down to Broadway. 
you went over to Bellevue, you went to North Nashville, you went to Antioch. There was not a single living human. Just the British and American forces alone died. So imagine that all of Davidson County was wiped out. Why? Why? So that you can choose between an iPhone and an Android. So that you can choose to live in Maplewood or West Haven. So that you can choose to own a truck or a car. So that you can choose to speak English instead of German. And so for all of you younger generations, you, 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 most of you didn't have a grandfather like me. And, and so I have a very personal affection for, it's not that I believe that our country is a God. Our country has all kinds of, you know, there's a lot of people that can't separate God from country. And, and our country has a lot of broken issues. But that's the reason for all of you that are maybe 40 years old and younger. It's why you see people 65 and older get incredibly heated when you talk about the way our country and you take freedoms for granted because their fathers were part of that number. It's different for them. Everywhere I went, it just, it, it, it was heavy on me that there was an, they were united by a common enemy. Think about it. There was a common enemy and that common enemy gave him a common cause that drew British and Canadian and French and all kinds of countries together. A common enemy gave him a common cause, and that, but that common cause called for an uncommon effort. The whole world went to war to stop the powers of evil and atrocities. But you could still touch it to this very day. People died for it. But that was just one war. Have you ever, have you ever thought about, you ever taken the time to look up how the disciples died? You ever thought about that? We're talking about an uncommon effort. A common enemy had a common cause and gave us what I call the church has an uncommon effort ahead of us. Let me, I wrote them down I, I, just so I wouldn't forget. I want to get it right. James is the only one recorded that we have in Acts chapter 12. He was executed. Paul was beheaded in Rome, and, and Peter was killed in Rome too. Uh, most of what we know about how the disciples were killed uh, comes from other historical writings and passed down stories. But they're, they're, they're pretty similar, so I think they're trustworthy. James was executed. Paul was beheaded. Peter was hung upside down on a cross. Andrew was crucified. Thomas... Legend has it that he was speared by four soldiers until he was dead. Philip was executed. Matthew was stabbed, history tells us, in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was martyred. James Alphaeus was stoned and then clubbed. 
Simon was executed. Matthias was burned. John, who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, historically, he may have been the only apostle and disciple that died of old age. But that was not before they boiled him in oil. So, you've got 12 men who used to be afraid, and now they're willing to be executed. What happened? See, you don't, that's more than a fight for liberty. It's more than a fight for a flag. It's more than a fight for capitalism versus socialism. That what would make 12 people go into all the world and preach the gospel? Because you do realize you're here because they went. You realize that, don't you? Have you ever put that together? Jesus gave the commission to the 12. Then he sent out the 70 with that same commission. So you can't just say that the Great Commission or that, that the commission of, of Matthew 28 or, or, Matthew, or Matthew 10 was given just to the apostles because it went to the 70 and then it went to you and, and, and that never stopped. And, and those people, since that time, thousands have been dying. How do they do that? Where does that come from? That's the question. What makes them do that? They met the living God. They met the living God. The power of Jesus changes a person so much that they're willing. Look, just take, just take, the, take, the, take Peter. How does a guy go from a coward who says, I don't even know him, to a guy who says, if you're going to kill me, turn me upside down because I'm not going to die the same way he did. I'm not worthy of that. How does that happen? It happens because they met the living God. And there's evidence. And you, you know what? Just like in Normandy, there's evidence of, of, of a battle that took place for freedom. There's evidence left over of their sacrifice, and it's you. You. You and me. We're the evidence. We're here because they went. And the looming question that I kept thinking about in France is the same question that I think about when I think about the church today. And it is, what's going to be the evidence of our lives? Is there going to be a way that people could walk into Williamson County 20 years from now and know that Jason Cruz lived? Because I can walk in France and I can tell you that they lived because they left a trail of debris behind them. What's going to be our legacy? And that's really a question only you can answer. The road to discipleship is not an easy one. But we are called to minister life to the, to the dying. The full gospel is, is, is fully proclaimed. It transforms fully. And we're not to just hold on to the gospel as an intellectual thing, a transaction where I said, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, got my fire insurance, and I'm all good now. That was nowhere in the heart of God. He redeemed us to send us. He redeemed us to send us. But nobody gets touched and nobody gets healed and nobody gets redeemed 
if we just consume it. I love what C.T. Studd, that famous missionary who's now in heaven, he said it this way. He said, some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a rescue shop a yard from the gates of hell. Three feet. Boy, let that sit on you for a minute. I want to tell you, we're walking into Missions Month in November. You're going to hear about opportunities. You just heard one from Tommy about the need to bring healing to people that don't have a roof over their head. What are we going to do? We're just going to let them sit out in the cold? We're just going to say, I, I, don't, I don't have time? What are we going to do? For whatever reason, they, they can't put shoes on their feet. We're, we're, are we just going to say, good luck, we'll pray for you? What are we going to do about that? So we, we have this commission to bring healing and life to the life. Because we, we've been freely given to and freely we shall give. As we turn a corner after Missions Month, you're going to see after the first of the year at some point, we're going to take Give Us Franklin to a whole new level. And you're going to have more opportunities than you've had in a while to start sharing the gospel and living out this commission that we've been given. And, 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 and part of my job is to keep pressure on that, that we keep that in front of us. Because that, to me, sounds a whole lot more like what a church should be than just a group of people that gather in a very comfortable setting to get more Bible smart. Our discipleship was never meant to make us heady. It was meant to equip us to go and do the things that Jesus called us to do because a full gospel transforms fully. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.